Welcome to Book Clips, a weekly podcast featuring author readings, produced by the Lesbian Review, connecting lovers of lesfic with lesbian authors. You can find more information on this book in the show notes. And don't forget to help others find this podcast by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. Hi y'all, I'm Lori Moore from Fort Worth, Texas, and today I'll be doing a reading from my Dakota Jones P.I. novel, Murder, Inc. That's I-N-K. Dakota Jones, nouveau riche owner of Runaway Investigations, expects a quiet Thanksgiving with her girlfriend, Chris Carson, a homicide investigator with the Phoenix Police Department. But Chris gets called into work, spoiling their long-awaited day together. Celia St. Clair, the Madam of Fantasy Escorts Unlimited, a high-dollar escort service, was found murdered and her body posed at a grisly scene, and Chris's police partner, Hamilton Stark, is asking for Chris's assistance with the investigation. Wednesday dawned with a blood-orange sunrise, and Dakota slit open one eye. Coffee, robust coffee, something strong enough to strip the paint off a truck. She lopped a leg over the edge of the bed, sat up, and blinked her surroundings into focus. A blinking LED on the kitchen answering machine drew her in. She checked the digital call counter and saw that the login time on the first missed call came from Chris, received during Dakota's experiment in the spa with a new aromatherapy bubble bath. The second came from Heather Liesel. After the earlier conversation degenerated into weeping, sniveling hysterics, it rather surprised Dakota that Heather bothered to call back. If she said it once, she said it ten times. She only investigated runaway kids. Heather should have gotten it through her head. Dakota poured a pyramid of Kona grind into a filter without measuring and started a fresh pot before retrieving Heather's message. When the coffee maker sputtered to a stop, she poured herself a cup lightened it with cream, and let the steamy aroma moisten her face as she whiffed it. She pushed the play button and took her first sip. Oh, please, God, help me pick up the phone, Dakota. He's here. I know he is. Coffee spewed out of her nose. Heather went silent with an abruptness so chilling it electrified every nerve in Dakota's body. Breaths of terror rushed down the line. Dakota, I think I'm next, she whispered. Please help me. Then a huge suck of air dissolved into the pitiful mewlings of a kitten. Please don't hurt me. Dee's heart beat like a savage fist. She could sense Heather's horror at the other end of the line. Her stomach went hollow. She stood perfectly still, rooted in her own fear, feeling her skin crawl up her ribcage. This was real. It may be over, but to Dakota, it was happening at that very moment. What are you doing here? Oh, God, it's you, isn't it? You're the one. I'm begging you, don't hurt me. I'll do anything you want. Heather Liesel let out a guts-out scream. For a few eternal minutes, the chaos and violence erupting at the other end of the phone sounded like a couple trying their luck at a home birth. As Heather encountered the malignant side of human nature, Dakota whimpered. Her throat tightened. Her eyes burned. Screams curdled her blood. A chunk of ice formed where her heart had been. Helpless to do more than soak up each grisly noise, she stood ramrod straight, listening to a murder in progress. Silence loomed, followed by a ghoulish gasp, labored breathing, 
and a gurgle of finality. A cat screamed in the background. Then someone depressed the telephone switch and the line went dead. Dakota dashed to the bedroom with pyramids of flesh prickling her arms. She shouldn't have washed her hands of Celia's girl. Should have offered her a place to stay. She had plenty of room at Heaven's Urn. What kind of person would turn a friend away? Who'd do that? Dakota shrieked. She grabbed her address book from a bedside table. Her fingers shook as she leafed through the pages in search of Heather's telephone information. Found it. She stabbed out the number with such force, a lance of pain shot past her fingertip. Voicemail intervened. The sound of Heather's pixie-like greeting might as well have been a dagger plunged through Dakota's chest. Heather is Dakota. She felt like she was on the verge of a coronary as the words got stuck in her throat. Call me as soon as you get this message. She tried a second number and endured a series of shrill tones, followed by the automated recording of a bored operator announcing a disconnected number. Dakota double-checked Heather's address. She'd only visited the townhouse once as a guest at a surprise party for one of Celia's girls, who adopted the working persona of Wonder Woman, Diana Kyle, to her friends. The once-upscale neighborhood had slipped into decline, and while the rest of the area seemed to be enjoying a renaissance, Heather Street hadn't quite made the cut. Sure, the brick garden home had seemed beautiful at the time, but that grisly phone call proved it had turned into one big death trap. Call the police? Don't call the police? Check out the house, then call the police? If she did call the police, what would she say? Hi, I'm pretty sure one of my friends just got murdered. How do I know? Because I heard it. Was I there? No, she called me. What's my name? Why, so you can have an officer swing by to make an arrest? She wiggled into a long-sleeved knit pullover, pulled sausage casing tights over her legs, and slipped into a pair of blue jeans and valley loafers. Grabbing her black leather jacket off a hanger, she headed out the door with her cell phone in hand. On the way to the car, the speed-dialed call she made to Chris's wireless cycle to a recording. On the road to Heather Liesel's, she tried the homicide office and got the third degree from Chris's lieutenant. When she tried to convince him to raise Chris by radio, he taunted her with, Just what kind of so-called friend of Carson's are you? She hung up on him. At Heather Liesel's townhome, a two-story brick flat in a converted furniture store that went belly up ten years before, Dakota wrapped the edge of her jacket around her hand before giving the front doorknob a twist. It gave way to a gruesome scene that had her stumbling back from the threshold in revulsion. She'd located the trapdoor to hell. A demonic scream boiled up from the throat of an angry feral cat. Every hair haloed around its scrawny gray body, making it appear twice as large. Green eyes glittered like toxic waste. Before Dakota could jump out of the way, it rushed her. She lost her footing and spun backward, toppling a three-foot barrel cactus in a clay pot next to the door. As she plucked out Thorn, she thought of the ugly tomcat at Celia's crime scene. This wasn't a mere coincidence. Heather had been right. There had to be a connection with Celia. Dakota didn't need a closer look to realize the naked woman was dead. Her skirt was on cockeyed and bunched up around her hips, as if she'd dressed in a hurry or in the dark. She didn't have on panties, and her legs were splayed. Her face screamed unspeakable terror. 
On the way over, try as she might to convince herself Heather could still be alive. On some level, she'd known the outcome as soon as the door handle gave way beneath her grip. Blood pooled around the escort's head. Death froze her ghastly expression. The glint of metal jutting out of her neck caught the light with such vividness each of Dakota's senses came alive. She projectile vomited into a rock garden that substituted for Heather's lawn. She steadied herself against the door jamb, punching out Chris's number with a trembling finger. When Chris answered, she panted into the phone. Every spoken word sounded like a sucking chest wound. I'm at Heather Liesel's. Who? Heather Liesel, she's one of Celia's girls. Tears blurred her vision. Correction, used to be one of Celia's girls. Heather's dead. As dead as the silence that stretched between. Can you hear me? Dakota's voice crescendoed. I said she's dead. Chris kept her tone even and metered. Are you all right? Better than her. You didn't touch anything, did you? Dizzy with the promise of incriminating evidence, Dakota ripped her hand from the doorway and buffed the sleeve of her leather jacket against the molding she'd been leaning against. No, I didn't touch anything. Good. Stay put. I'll call it in and don't let anyone go inside. We're on the way. Chris and Hamilton arrived at the same time Mark patrol units skidded to a stop in front of Heather's townhouse, Code 3, in a flash of emergency lights and a peal of sirens. Hamilton slammed the gear shift into park and alighted the vehicle before Chris unbuckled her seatbelt and bailed out. Seated on the stoop with her elbows on her knees and her hands cradling her head, Dakota tracked him striding her way in his tweed jacket, tropical wool slacks, and pinpoint Oxford shirt. When he came within arm's length, he produced a spiral notebook. What are you doing here? Vinny Vitty Velcro. I came, I saw, I stuck around. The comment slipped out unedited. She darted a look at Chris for support. None came. I have a few questions for you. As it turned out, he had a lot of questions, not to mention a few snide remarks. Is that blood on your shoe? He peered through accusing eyes. The cat must have tracked blood out, and she told him so. After a blistering exchange, he made no bones about considering her a suspect. Remove your jacket. Hand it over. Dakota reluctantly obliged. He handed it off to Chris, who retrieved a paper evidence bag, tucked the jacket inside, sealed it with red evidence tape, and tagged it. Turn around and put your hands behind your back, he snarled. You're not cuffing me. He pretended to meditate over this comment, then said with unmistakable sarcasm, Oh, but I am. She did not want to be cuffed. There's no need for that. I'll go willingly. If you ride in my car, you ride in handcuffs. He held a pair of peerless stainless steel hinged cuffs and twirled her around so fast her cheek grazed the brick exterior of Heather's house. He ratcheted the cuffs on tight. When she protested, he paid no attention to her objections. Ah, the ties that bind. He snipped off his words like nail clippers. Relax. The handcuffs are tight because they're new. They'll stretch after you wear them a while. You have been listening to Laurie Moore doing a reading from my novel, Murder, Inc. That's I-N-K, a Dakota Jones P.I. mystery. This has been an episode of Book Clips, a lesbian talk show podcast produced by The Lesbian Review. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, then please help others to find it by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. If you are an author interested in sending us a book clip, go to thelesbiantalkshow.com slash reading for more information.